0: Chapter eight of The Gentle Grafter by O Henry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leslie Walden. Chapter eight Shearing the Wolf Jeff Peters was always eloquent when the ethics of his profession was under discussion. The only times, said he, that me and Andy Tucker ever had any high hiatuses in our cordial intents was when we differed on the moral aspects of grafting. Andy had his standards, and I had mine. I didn't approve of all of Andy's schemes for levying contributions from the public, and he thought I allowed my conscience to interfere too often for the financial good of the firm. We had high arguments sometimes— "'One word led to another till he said I reminded him of Rockefeller. "'I don't know how you mean that, Andy,' says I, "'but we have been friends too long for me to take offense "'at a taunt that you will regret when you cool off. "'I have yet,' says I, "'to shake hands with the subpoena server. "'One summer me and Andy decided to rest up a spell "'in a fine little town in the mountains of Kentucky called Grassdale.' we were supposed to be horse-drovers and good decent citizens besides taking a summer vacation the grassdale people liked us and me and andy declared a cessation of hostilities never so much as floating the fly-leaf of a rubber concession prospectus or flashing a brazilian diamond while we was there one day the leading hardware merchant of grassdale drops around to the hotel where me and andy stopped and smokes with us sociable on the side porch we knew him pretty well from pitching quoits in the afternoons in the courthouse yard he was a loud red man breathing hard but fat and respectable beyond all reason after we talk on all the notorious themes of the day this Murkison, for such was his entitlements, takes a letter out of his coat pocket in a careful, careless way and hands it to us to read. "'Now what do you think of that?' says he, laughing. "'A letter like that to me.' Me and Andy sees at a glance what it is, but we pretend to read it through. It was one of them old-time typewritten green-goods letters explaining how for $1,000 you could get $5,000 in bills that an expert couldn't tell from the genuine, and going on to tell how they were made from plates stolen by an employee of the Treasury at Washington. "'Think of em sending a letter like that to me,' says Murkison. again. "'There's lots of good men get em,' says Andy. "'If you don't answer the first letter, they let you drop. "'If you answer it, they write again, "'asking you to come on with your money and do business.' but think of them writing to me says murkison a few days later he drops around again boys says he i know you're all right or i wouldn't confide in you i wrote to them rascals again just for fun they answered and told me to come on to chicago they said telegraph to j smith when i would start when i get there i'm to wait on a certain street corner till a man in a gray suit "'comes along and drops a newspaper in front of me. "'Then I am to ask him how the water is, "'and he knows it's me and I know it's him. "'Ah, yes,' says Andy, gaping. "'It's the same old game. "'I've often read about it in the papers. "'Then he conducts you to the private abattoir in the hotel "'where Mr. Jones is already waiting. "'They show you brand new real money "'and sell you all you want at five for one.' "'You see em put in a satchel for you, and you know it's there. "'Of course, it's brown paper when you come to look at it afterward.' "'Oh, they couldn't switch it on me,' says Murkison. "'I haven't built up the best-paying business in Grassdale "'without having some witticisms about me. "'You say it's real money they show you, Mr. Tucker?' "'I've always—I see by the papers that it always is,' says Andy.' boys says murkison i've got it in my mind that them fellows can't fool me i think i'll put a couple of thousand in my jeans and go up there and put it all over em if bill murkison gets his eyes once on them bills they show him he'll never take them off of them. they offer five dollars for one and they'll have to stick to the bargain if i tackle them. that's the kind of traitor bill murkison is yes i just believe i'll drop up chicago way and take a five-to-one shot on J. Smith. I guess the water'll be fine enough. Me and Andy tries to get this financial misquotation out of Murkison's head, but we might as well have tried to keep the man who rolls peanuts with a toothpick from betting on Brian's election. No, sir, he was going to perform a public duty catching these green-goods swindlers at their own game. Maybe it would teach them a lesson. After Murkison left us, me and andy sat for a while pondering over our silent meditations and heresies of reason in our idle hours we always improve our higher selves by ratiocination and mental thought jeff says andy after a long time quite unseldom i have seen fit to impugn your molars when you have been chewing the rag with me about your conscientious way of doing business i may have been wrong but here is a case where i think we can agree i think it would be wrong for us to allow mr murkison to go alone to meet those chicago green-goods men there is but one way it can end don't you think we would both feel better if we was to intervene in some way and prevent the doing of this deed i got up and shook andy tucker's hand hard and long andy says i i may have had one or two hard thoughts about the heartlessness of your corporation but i retract them now YOU HAVE A KIND NUCLEUS AT THE INTERIOR OF YOUR EXTERIOR AFTER ALL. IT DOES YOU CREDIT. I WAS JUST THINKING THE SAME THING THAT YOU HAVE EXPRESSED. IT WOULD NOT BE HONORABLE OR PRAISEWORTHY, SAYS I, FOR US TO LET MURKISON GO ON WITH THIS PROJECT HE HAS TAKEN UP. IF HE IS DETERMINED TO GO, LET US GO WITH HIM AND PREVENT THIS SWINDLE FROM COMING OFF. "'Andy agreed with me, and I was glad to see that he was in earnest "'about breaking up this green goods scheme. "'I don't call myself a religious man,' says I, "'or a fanatic in moral bigotry. "'But I can't stand still and see a man who has built up his business "'by his own efforts and brains and risk "'be robbed by an unscrupulous trickster "'who is a menace to the public good.' "'Right, Jeff,' says Andy.' We'll stick right along with Murkison, if he insists on going, and block this funny business. I'd hate to see any money dropped in it as bad as you would. Well, we went to see Murkison. No, boys, says he. I can't consent to let the song of this Chicago siren waft by me on the summer breeze. I'll fry some fat out of this ignis fatuus or burn a hole in the skillet, but I'd be plumb diverted to death to have you go along with me. Maybe you could help some when it comes to cashing in the ticket to that five-to-one shot. Yes, I'd really take it as a pastime and regalement if you boys would go along, too. Murkison gives out in Grassdale that he is going for a few days with Mr. Peters and Mr. Tucker to look over some iron ore property in West Virginia. He wires J. Smith that he will set foot in the spider web on a given date, and the three of us lights out for Chicago. On the way, Murkison amuses himself with premonitions and advance pleasant recollections. "'In a gray suit,' says he, on the southwest corner of Wabash Avenue and Lake Street. He drops the paper, and I ask him how the water is. "'Oh, my, my, my!' and then he laughs all over for five minutes. Sometimes Murkison was serious and tried to talk himself out of his cogitations, whatever they was. "'Boys,' says he, "'I wouldn't have this get out in Grassdale for ten times a thousand dollars. "'It would ruin me there. "'But I know you are all right. "'I think it is the duty of every citizen,' says he, "'to try to do up these robbers that prey upon the public. "'I'll show them whether the water's fine. Five dollars for one. "'That's what J Smith offers. "'And he'll have to keep his contract "'if he does business with Bill Murkison. We got to Chicago about 7 p.m. Murkison was to meet the gray man at half-past nine. We had dinner at a hotel, and then we went up to Murkison's room to wait for the time to come. Now, boys, says Murkison, let's get our gumption together and inoculate a plan for defeating the enemy. Suppose while I'm exchanging airy bandage with the gray capper, you gents come along by accident, you know, and holler, "'Hey, Murk, and shake hands with symptoms of surprise and familiarity. "'Then I take the capper aside and tell him you all are Jenkins and Brown of Grassdale, "'good men, and may be willing to take a chance while away from home. "'Bring em along,' he'll say, of course, if they care to invest. "'Now how does that scheme strike you?' "'What do you say, Jeff?' asks Andy, looking at me. "'Why, I tell you what I say,' says I. I say let's settle this thing right here now. I don't see any use of wasting any more time. I took a nickel-plated thirty-eight out of my pocket and clicked the cylinder around a few times. You undevout, insidious hog, says I to Murkison, get out that 2,000 and lay it on the table. Obey with velocity, says I, for otherwise alternatives are impending. I am preferably a man of mildness, BUT NOW AND THEN I FIND MYSELF IN THE MIDDLE OF EXTREMITIES. SUCH men AS YOU, I WENT ON AFTER HE LAID THE MONEY OUT, IS WHAT KEEPS THE JAILS AND COURTHOUSES GOING. YOU COME UP HERE TO ROB THESE MEN OF THEIR MONEY. DOES IT EXCUSE YOU, I asks THAT THEY WERE TRYING TO SKIN YOU? NO, SIR, YOU WAS GOING TO ROB PETER TO STAND OFF PAUL. YOU WERE TEN TIMES WORSE, SAYS I, THAN THAT GREEN-GOODS MAN. You go to church at home and pretend to be a decent citizen, but you'll come to Chicago and commit larceny from men that have built up a sound and profitable business by dealing with such contemptible scoundrels as you have tried to be today. How do you know, says I, that that Green Goods man hasn't a large family dependent upon his extortions? It's you, supposedly respectable citizens, who are always on the lookout to get something for nothing, says I, that support the lotteries and wildcat mines and stock exchangers and wiretappers of this country. If it wasn't for you, they'd go out of business. The green goods man you was going to rob, says I, studied maybe for years to learn his trade. Every turn he takes, he risks his money and liberty and maybe his life. You come up here all sanctified and vanoplied with respectability and a pleasing post office address to swindle him, if he gets the money, you can squeal to the police. If you get it, he hawks the gray suit to buy supper and says nothing. Hand over the money, says I, you grass-fed hypocrite. I put the 2000 which was all in $20 bills, in my inside pocket. Now get out your watch, says I to Murkison. No, I don't want it, says I. Lay it on the table, and you sit in that chair till it ticks off an hour. Then you can go. If you make any noise or leave any sooner, we'll hand-bill you all over Grassdale. I guess your high position there is worth more than $2,000 to you. Then me and Andy left. On the train, Andy was a long time silent. Then he says, "'Jeff, do you mind my asking you a question?' Two says I, or forty. Was that the idea you had, says he, when we started out with Murkison. Why, certainly, says I. What else could it have been? Wasn't it yours, too? In about half an hour, Andy spoke again. I think there are times when Andy don't exactly understand my system of ethics and moral hygiene. Jeff, says he, sometime when you have the leisure... I wish you'd draw off a diagram and footnotes of that conscience of yours. I'd like to have it to refer to occasionally. End of chapter 8